The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com, your daily morning podcast, updating you on everything you need to know to win your fantasy baseball league. Let's talk about baseball. Welcome, everyone. Happy Tuesday. I am your host, Daniel Port. Thank you for joining me this morning. We have a ton of baseball to go over, including Mike Trout hitting a home run for the seventh consecutive game. Tons of games out there that were relevant to the standings and where the, the season's going to end up as we uh, head down the home stretch for the playoffs. Just a ton of things going on, and we're going to try and cover as much of it as we can here. So to jump straight into it, let's talk the injuries, news, and notes from yesterday. So starting with the Chicago Cubs, Nelson Velasquez was listed as day-to-day with an illness. He didn't start on Monday. We'll talk about him in a little bit, actually. But he did play in yesterday's game. He just did not start. And Nico Horner is day-to-day with a tricep injury, and he did not start yesterday either. For the Cincinnati Reds, Hunter Green said on Monday that he expects to return from the 15-day injured list this weekend to make a start during the Reds series in St. Louis. According to Tigers manager A.J. Hinch, Miguel Cabrera is unlikely to return from the 10-day injured list during the team's six-game homestand this week. For the Los Angeles Angels, Anthony Rendon took batting practice Monday and continues to target a return from the 60-day injury list before the end of the season. And David Fletcher is listed as day-to-day with a hand injury. He did not start yesterday against the Guardians. For the Los Angeles Dodgers, Brewstar Gratterall is expected to throw a bullpen session on Wednesday. Kevin Pillar is set to begin a rehab assignment with AAA Oklahoma in a few days. And Tommy Canley could be activated sometime during the Dodgers series against the Diamondbacks as he returns from a forearm injury. And finally, for the Dodgers, Danny Duffy has put a halt to his rehab assignment as he attempts to come back from a forearm injury of his own. For the Miami Marlins, Avisael Garcia was not in the lineup for the second game of Monday's doubleheader against the Rangers. He's dealing with a hamstring injury and is listed as day-to-day. And Marlins manager Don Mattingly since Saturday that Jorge Soler is unlikely to return from the 10-day injured list before the end of the season. For the New York Mets, Tyler McGill struck out a batter in a perfect inning in his most recent rehab outing Friday for AAA Syracuse. And for the New York Yankees, Miguel Castro pitched a perfect inning of his own for AA Somerset on Sunday. Orales Chapman struck out three batters and walked one in a scoreless inning for AA Somerset as well. And also down there in Somerset, Harrison Bader went one for three with a walk, an RBI, and a stolen base uh, while playing a rehab game there on Sunday as well. For the Oakland Athletics, Sky Bolt went three for ten with two doubles and three RBIs while playing all nine innings in two rehab games for AAA Las Vegas against Sacramento on Saturday and Sunday. And James Caprellian is slated to start Thursday against the Astros at Minute Maid Park after being scratched from his last start Friday due to a cut on his middle finger. 
And finally, to wrap up the, the injuries, news, and notes, for the San Francisco Giants, Tommy LaStella went on the 10-day injured list with an undisclosed injury. I'm sure we'll find out more today. It's always nice to have a short uh, and sweet injuries, news, and notes uh, section here today. But let's jump straight into some of the hitters that might be fantasy relevant that caught my eye that are out on the waiver wire or could be relevant to your teams here as we head into the playoffs. For the Rangers, Josh Young went two for eight across a doubleheader yesterday with uh, a double, a home run, two RBIs, and a run scored. It's really fascinating. Since coming up, Young has fit the bill. He's got two home runs in 20 at-bats with five hits, three RBIs, and 250 with a 650 slugging percentage. But there are some reasons for concern. He's striking out at a really high rate so far. It's only 12 plate appearances, but he struck out 50% of those plate appearances. So there is some cause for concern. He currently has a 28.9 swing strike rate on the season. But when he makes contact, he's hitting it a country mile. And that is in line with the prospects report that you see from Fangraphs, which had him at a 60 out of 60 for raw power and a 50 out of 60 grade for his game power coming into the season. They ranked him as the number one prospect on the Rangers and as the number 12 prospect overall coming into the season. So be patient, obviously, with the strikeouts. Don't panic on there too much. But he is hitting the snot out of the ball right now. Could be worth a pickup if you need help there at third base. Also for the Rangers, Bubba Thompson went one for seven with two runs scored and his 14th and 15th stolen base on the season. He's hitting 296 on the season still. And while he slowed down a little bit over his last seven games, he's only hit 261. He still has a 320 OBP over that time period. And he's stolen five bases in his last seven games. So if you need stolen bases, uh, Thompson's got speed on speed and seems to be putting it to use as much as humanly possible. And if you want Fangraphs coming into the season, compared him to more of a Brett Phillips type where he's got a ton of speed, one note on offense, doesn't really uh, have a great hit tool. I wouldn't expect the batting average to last, even though uh, he actually was doing pretty well there in AAA before getting called up, where he hit 303 over uh, 375 plate appearances. So it's entirely possible that he's made some adjustments that are going to allow him to continue to sustain that. So if you need some runs, if you need some stolen bases, he might be a pretty good help there. And heck, as long as he keeps hitting for a while, could help you in average as well. So uh, take a look at Bubba Thompson, if nothing else, worth it for the stolen bases. For the Marlins, John Birdie went two for eight with three runs scored, three RBIs, and two stolen bases. Birdie had cooled off hardcore. He's only hit 231 over his last 30 games with a 308 slugging percentage. He has stolen eight bases over that time period. He's genuinely been bad for about three months running now. He is an 85 WRC plus hitter in July, an 83 WRC plus hitter in August, and a 33 WRC plus hitter so far here in September. Unless you really need the stolen bases desperately, I think some of these leg injuries have caught up to Birdie a little bit. And I think you can get some better stolen base options out there if you want to go say like a Jake McCarthy or, or Bubba Thompson, you know, that there are some better options out there if you need the stolen bases. Also for the Marlins, Garrett Cooper went one for seven with two RBIs and a double. Over his last seven games, he's hitting 370 with a 414 OBP and a 667 slugging percentage. He's got a home run over that time period and that double. Ten hits in his last seven games with six RBIs and four runs scored. He's starting to get hot. He hadn't been hitting real well over his last 15 games to give you an idea of how bad it's been. He was hitting 218. The hard part for Cooper is that he's been battling injuries on and off all season long. He's had wrist injuries, he's had calf injuries, he's had concussion issues, and all these things have taken their toll on him throughout the season. And now maybe what we're seeing is that he's finally healthy and starting to hit the ball. On the season, he's got a 10.7% barrel rate, but since September 1st, though, he's been barreling the ball at a 17.4% rate. He's got a 52.2% hard hit rate over that time period. He's in the ball 91.4 miles an hour over that time period on average. Maybe we're starting to see, finally, Cooper be healthy and feeling good. 
but he is hitting the ball really well right now. And if you need help in average in RBI, since he is hitting cleanup most days for the Marlins, he could really help you out there. And he's even going to chip in a couple home runs here and there. For the Astros, Jeremy Pena went three for five with two runs and an RBI with a double. And I saw a really fascinating article on Fangraphs about Jeremy Pena. And if you remember me talking about his power disappearing last year, this article by the fantastic Dan Simborski backed up what I was talking about in that really his plate discipline has fallen apart and he's chasing pitches out of the zone way more often. And when you see that happening, the power goes with it, even though he is for averaging 333 over his last seven games with a 467 slugging percentage. There's definitely some causes for concern since we haven't really seen that power come back. If you look uh, basically the think of it this way, if you look from uh, the beginning of the season through the end of July, he swung at 37.9% of pitches out of the zone. And he saw first pitch strikes on 66% of the pitches he saw. Go from August 1st on, and that uh, he swung at 47.4% of pitches out of the zone. And that first pitch strike percentage goes up to 78.6%. And if you look, of all the first pitches that Pena has seen since August 1st, 40% of them were out of the zone. Of those pitches, 44.8% of those pitches resulted in strikes, thanks to Pena chasing. So that we're talking about pitches out of the zone as the first pitch of the at-bat that he was swinging at. That's an insane number. Uh, 26% of those strikes were swinging strikes, 10% of them were foul balls, and 8.6% were called strikes. So he was swinging at a ton of them, swinging and missing, and putting himself in a hole. Once you end up with an 0-1 count, the success rate of an at-bat goes down catastrophically. So this is not a recipe for success at all. Not a single one of these that he put even in play ended up being a hit. And if you look, going back before August 1st, while 47.3% of his first pitches were out of the zone, only 27.6% of them resulted in strikes. So he wasn't chasing as much. And I think what has ended up happening is the league has adjusted to Pena, has been attacking him in the zone more on, on the first pitch. And therefore, then when they go out of the zone, he's fooled and he's having a hard time making that adjustment. This happens all the time to rookies. This isn't surprising. The league makes an adjustment. Now he's going to have to make an adjustment. We may not see that adjustment until next year, but we'll just have to wait and see. Now for the Pirates, Rodolfo Castro went one for four with three RBIs and his eighth home run of the season. Castro's been struggling from a uh, batting average perspective. He's only hit 179 over his last seven games but he's got three home runs over that time period with a 500 slugging percentage and six rbi so he's been smacking the crap out of the ball when he hits it if you watch the home run this was definitely a great american ballpark home run as it just got out over that really short fence there but hey they all count as long as it gets over it's just worth keeping in mind i don't necessarily see a reason why the power should disappear this season as a if you need it he could be rudolfo castro could be worth picking up i don't know obviously it's going to hurt you elsewhere in batting average it could be worth picking up if you need those home runs he's got three more games here in great american ballpark against the reds which could be huge and then they go to city field against the mets that's not a great park for power but then he's got two against the yankees which is a top two ballpark on the season for home runs and then back home against the cubs and the reds pittsburgh is not a great ballpark for home runs or anything like that but the Cubs are the second worst team in home runs per nine on the road and the Reds are the eighth worst so there's plenty of power potential still there if you need it so uh, definitely take a look at Castro Brian Hayes went two for five with uh, a run scored and two stolen bases that gives him 17 on the season he's not you know he's starting to get uh, going again with the bat he's in 261 over his last seven games with three stolen bases almost no power he's only got a 261 slugging percentage over that time period you know he's a 324 slugging percentage over his last 30 games I think this is actually more of a byproduct of a uh, combination of his approach and the fact that just injuries have plagued Hayes throughout the entire season. He's just really never been healthy after the first two months of the season. So uh, keep that in mind as you look at this. And now mind you, these 17 stolen bases does mark a career high for him in the majors. So that's really nice to see. I think really, especially if you're 
wondering where the power someday is going to come from with Cabrian Hayes. I do think he needs a, a major approach and swing adjustment here. He hits the ball on the ground far too much, and he goes to all fields far too much to really see the power we hope he has. He's a nice, strong, violent swing, much in the sense of if you think of Jose Ramirez or an Adrian Beltre. He just needs to really start thinking about pulling the ball more often, hitting it in the air more often, and, and then we could really see finally that Cabrian Hayes breakout. On the other hand, if he needs some stolen bases, he could be really helpful there. Also for the Pirates, Jack Suwinski went 0 for 5, but he did steal his third base of the season. And I wanted to point out that Suwinski has been uh, pretty hot lately as well. He's hitting 269 with a 321 OBP and a 500 slugging percentage. He's got two home runs in his last seven games in that stolen base. The batting average has been horrendous at a 206 average on the season. It's worth noting. Suwinski in 267 at-bats has 16 home runs. So there's some major power potential here in terms of home runs. You know, if you look on the season, he's got an 11.4% barrel rate with a 15.3 degree launch angle, an 88.2 mile per hour exit velocity, and a 40% hard hit rate. But when you look at it, He's hitting the, the snot out of the ball when he can get it up in the air, which he does at a 44% rate for fly balls. And he pulls the ball 44.6% of the time. This is actually even a guy I could see getting a huge leap next year when the shift is gone, given how much he pulls the ball. But if nothing else, 16 home runs in 267 at-bats is elite power. Could really be very interesting. If you need home runs and can take the hit to your average rest of season, he could certainly help you there. And if nothing else, is a guy to keep an eye on for next year for sure. So far this year, he's absolutely crushed right-handed pitching. And that's something to really keep in mind, especially in daily leagues or like Otnu or uh, DFS. He has a 346 Woba against right-handed pitching this season. And that gives you a 122 WRC+. Plus. He's hit 244, which is a much more acceptable batting average with an 802 OPS and a 233 ISO. So he's absolutely crushing the ball against righties. And if you look at what he's got coming up, they have a doubleheader against the Reds starting today. And it'll be interesting to see who they pitch in those. If he comes up against Lodolo, that might actually end up being tomorrow. He probably will sit against Lodolo since he's a lefty. But if they throw out some righties out today, that could be some really nice power potential there. Uh, then if you go on, the next series is against the Mets, who four of their five starters are right-handed, but same for the Yankees, and then the Cubs are three of their five are right-handed pitching. And then we come back to the Reds, who are split down the line righty-lefty. There's a chance that Suwinski keeps rolling, keeps hitting pretty well power-wise, and could be useful. For the Reds, Aristides Aquino went two for three with his eighth home run and two RBIs and a walk. He's been on fire his last seven games, hitting 360 with a 429 OBP and an 840 slugging percentage with three home runs, five RBIs, and three walks over his last seven games. And... It's worth noting over that time period of those nine hits that he has over his last seven games, three of them are home runs, three of them are doubles. So he is absolutely demolishing the ball right now. And this is what he does. He's one of the streakiest hitters in baseball. When he's hot, look out. He's going to demolish the ball. But when he's cold, it is bad. Uh, he's most been pretty bad so far this season. But if you look over 50% of his home runs in the season have come in his last 15 games. The numbers are indicative of his, his success. He's got a 10.3% barrel rate over those last 15 games with an 89.7 mile per hour exit velocity, a 46.2% hard hit rate, a 19.6 degree launch angle. They're fairly legit when he's hot. He's got a 43.6% fly ball rate to go with a 17.6% home run per fly ball rate, a 53.8% pull rate. He's hitting the ball very well right now, but it's you've got to acknowledge the risk because while this hot streak is sky high in terms of its ceiling, the bottom is going to fall out of it at some point. That's what he's done whenever he comes up to the majors. You just be careful, understand trying to ride this hot streak. He's got three more games against the Pirates, so terrible pitching. But then it does go off where he has to face the Cardinals for five games. That's not a great matchup. And since they will be in St. Louis, it's not a great park for home runs. Then they do come back to the Great American Ballpark to face the Red Sox for two games and the Brewers for four. The third part is neither one of those teams give up a ton of home runs. So if you ask me to take a bet, I would bet that the this hot streak ends sooner rather than later. But I also totally understand if you need the power jumping all over this. 
Moving on to the Tampa Bay Rays, Jonathan Rondo went one for three with an RBI, and since coming up for the Rays recently, he has uh, amassed 29 plate appearances. And that's not a very large sample, obviously, but he has been fantastic. He's in 385 on the year with a 448 OBP and a 500 slugging percentage. No home runs yet, but he does have three doubles. He's walking at 10.3% rate and only striking out at 17.2% rate. Uh, he's just been fantastic. He's a 182 WRC plus, so obviously it is an incredibly small sample. So who is uh, Aranda? He's actually been a pretty highly thought of hitter in the Rays system. He's just uh, 24. And if you look at Fangraph's tools for him, they give him a 55 out of 60 hit tool with 50, 50 grade raw power and 45, uh, uh, 40 out of 45 game power. The hard part is, and everyone's assumed looking at, you go down every single scouting report, and it's been about how good of a, a hitter he is in terms of his hit tool and having a nice compact uh, swing that can go gap to gap, has some home run power to to his pull side. But these are all things that the people have raved about when talking about Aranda. The thing is, his defense stinks from every scouting report. And so he's never really had a position. And so while everyone's very excited about the bat, everyone figured he'd have a hard time finding playing time in the majors unless he could DH. But that's the scouting report on Aranda. It's not surprising to see him hit well. That was what everyone expected him to do. What's interesting is Tampa's kind of moved him around. My guess is they're trying to essentially hide him and his defense based on the team they're facing. He's played at first base. He's played at third base. He's played at second base. I have a feeling that depends on if it's a pretty pull-heavy team or a team that's going to go the opposite way or things like that fairly often. Now, looking at that, some of the numbers are, are pretty interesting on the StatCast level so far. He's got 92.2 mile power exit velocity, um, a 9.5% barrel rate, 52.4% hard hit rate. That all jives with what I've heard of him so, about him so far. But even his plate disciplines look nice. He's got a 22.6% O-swing percentage. He's only got an 8.5% swing strike rate. He makes contact 80% of the time. These are all things you like to see. So I, I'm very intrigued by Aranda. And if he continues to get consistent everyday playing time in the Rays lineup, which I think they're going to try and do because they need the offense. He can really end up doing well for you down the line here, heading into the playoffs and in the playoffs. But it also might end up being like the, the gaggle of Pittsburgh guys we we're talking about, where he's a name mostly to pay attention to for next year. For the Cubs, Rafael Ortega went two for three with his seventh home run, two runs scored and two RBIs. So he's been really great over his last seven games, hitting 350 with a 391 OBP and a 500 slugging percentage with one home run. He's got six RBIs over that time period. And I've talked about Ortega quite a bit on this podcast. It, it's weird. His playing time lately has been all over the place. But if you look deeper at Ortega's numbers, especially at his barrels, what's interesting is he's looking so far like a hitter who doesn't barrel the ball very often. But when he does, he makes the most of it. Uh, his barrels uh, almost always have really interesting results. Of his 11 barrels in the year, four of them went out for home runs. Another was a double. And no barrel that he's hit so far in the season was shorter than 366 feet. He's had outs of 396, 396 feet, 385 feet, 395 feet, and 388 feet on the year. So when you look at it that way, you have to imagine in a normal full season at least one or two of those also get out of the ballpark, and therefore we start even seeing more home runs out of Ortega. So it's really interesting to see and see how that translates to next year. But in general, those numbers will play, and it's just a question of really whether we see that power and some of those long hit uh, barrels translate to home runs this year or next year. Definitely worth keeping an eye on, especially if his playing time kind of gets ironed out. The hard part is he does get DeGrom today, so obviously you don't want to play him today. And then the Mets, they finish their series with the Mets on Wednesday, 
So then they move uh, back to Wrigley and they get the Rockies, which could be a really nice matchup. The Rockies pitchers give up a ton of home runs. None of them are really having a great season, so they're all pretty good matchups. They have the league's worst ERA. They have the second worst ERA in the league on the road. Like, it could be a really nice matchup. So if you're looking to stream some hitters this week, Rafael Ortega could be a really nice pick. And after that, uh, then after that, it does head over to face the Marlins. That's not a great matchup. They have pretty darn good pitching. But then they all then they go and take on the Pirates, who have terrible pitching. And finally, the Phillies and the Reds. So there could be some real nice use for Rafael Ortega. And so those are the hitters that caught my eye from yesterday. Let's jump into the pitching because there were some really interesting pitchers going yesterday too. So first for the Giants, Alex Cobb went seven innings pitched, giving up just six hits, no earned runs, and striking out seven hitters. Cobb has been fantastic. This has been another classic San Francisco turnaround. It's been really cool. Over his last seven games, he's at 220 ERA, over 41 innings pitched with 40 strikeouts. Over his last 15 games, it's continued. He's only has a 2.46 ERA over that time period. So he's been just really good for quite a while. And actually, if you go all the way back to July 1st, he's had 14 starts since then. He's given up zero earned runs in six of those starts, and he's had quality starts in nine of those starts. And really for him, the key has been the splitter and the sinker. They've worked really well in tandem together for, for him so far uh, this year as his two major offerings. That splitter has accumulated 3.8 PVAL on the season, and his sinker has accumulated 6.5 PVAL. This is the second year in a row his sinker has gotten good results and has been improving every year. And really what that boils down to is how he's locating it. So since the start of 2021, Cobb has thrown 1,540 sinkers. He's located 36.5% of those sinkers down, either in the zone or out of the zone. And 15% of them he located down but in the zone. Now, for those of you who may not know, I did a study on this last year for my for my master's degree and actually presented on it at PitchCon this year. But I created a stat called OLR, Optimal Location Ratios, and it's the, the ratio of how often a pitch is thrown in its optimal location, in this case for sinkers, down in the zone versus the, the ratio of how often it's thrown down altogether. And really uh, what you, you want is for sinkers is an OLR of around 0. 0.40 or higher and this is at 0. 0.416 so that's perfect it really helps explain how, you know how the sinker has been able to find success in that when they see that sinker down they can't just assume that it's going to be a strike or a ball it keeps them off their toes and they can't really just jump to one conclusion or the other there so as long as this continues i am all aboard the cob train if he can locate like this he will continue to have a lot of success now, unfortunately, he gets the Dodgers in his next start, and so I'm going to sit him there unless I'm real desperate. But hold on to him through that, because after that, he gets the Rockies. And while it's in Coors, their offense is not. So I'm good starting him there, even out there in Coors. For the Diamondbacks, Ryan Nelson made his second career start and was, again, fantastic. He went six innings pitched, giving up just two hits, walking two and striking out six while giving up no earned runs. This He's now scoreless over his first 13 innings pitched as a pro with 13 strikeouts, just two walks, and only six hits given up. I love what this kid is doing. It's really exciting. It's really fun to watch. Obviously, none of us expected to continue against the Dodgers, and, and that just speaks to how good his stuff has been. He's got a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. That fastball got nine a whiff on the night, looking absolutely devastating, especially up in the zone. And to go back to my optimal location ratio, he's because for the record, in my study, I found that optimal location ratios corresponded highly with, with pitch success and actually is pretty predictive in trying to project future success down the line for that pitch. Definitely worth keeping an eye on. To give you an idea here, Nelson has thrown 43% of his fastballs up as a whole on the season, with 20.2% of them 
up and in the zone. That's a really nice 0.469 OLR. That, that is a recipe for success for a four-seam fastball that's up in the 95 mile per hour range. It had a 32 uh, CSW percent yesterday. His curveball, he had a 43 uh, CSW percent yesterday, and he's thrown 61.5% of his curveballs on the season down with 30.8% of them being down in the zone. Good for a 0.5 OLR, which again is fantastic. Really going to continue to succeed if he keeps doing that. This is what really impresses me. I'm seeing command, not just control out of Nelson. He has a 57.4% uh, first pitch strike percentage, which is always going to be a recipe for success. Uh, the only issue I really see is he might be throwing the ball in the zone too much a little bit right now, but I'm loving what I see from him. I'm actually not even worried worried about his next start because he faces the Padres next and obviously they could wake up on any given day with that offense and crush the ball so it does carry some risk but they're right now 21st in the league in runs scored over the past 30 days and they're 25th over the last 14 days so they're slumping pretty hard right now so I'm not that scared of that offense I, I think you go pick up Nelson and you start him in that game for the Marlins, Braxton Garrett went 4.2 innings pitched uh, with two hits, two earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts, and a home run given up. This was his first start back from the injured list, and all in all, it was pretty successful, minus giving up a home run to, I believe, Rodolfo Castro in this game. His sinker looked pretty good. It stole a lot of strikes, which has always worked out for him, and the slider did the same thing. It's interesting that combined these two pitches, uh, which are his two go-to pitches, only really garnered seven whiffs in this game. I'm not worried about it, though, because he's got a 12.4% swing strike rate on the season overall. The slider itself has a 21.8 swing strike percentage with a 40.3% K rate, a 45.3% O swing percentage, and a 40.9 zone rate. This is just a devastating pitch. I would expect it to find success in his next start, and especially when you think those seven whiffs uh, are a little bit low, but he only threw 65 pitches in this since it was his first start back, so I'm not too worried about it. If he gets another start, the Marlins haven't quite announced when he's pitching next. It could end up being against Washington. If so, I am all about that. Definitely do not sleep on Braxton Garrett. For the Cubs, Javier Assad went six innings pitched, giving up just five hits, one earned run. He walked three and struck out six. And the, the story of this game was Assad's cutter. He got seven whiffs and just 33 pitches thrown with it. He makes it really well in there with his four-seamer, which ended up getting uh, a ton of called strikes and getting a 30 CSW percent. The K, the strikeouts are going to be a bit hit or miss right now for Assad. Unfortunately, between the walks and some hits, he does allow a ton of base runners. He's got a 1.41 whip on the season, which is a bit terrifying. But when you think about it, he actually does a pretty solid job limiting hard contact. He throws a ton of first pitch strikes, which allows him to get ahead of hitters and dictate how at-bats are going to go. And he doesn't give up uh, home runs really at all. So he can get away with some of those excessive base runner total because of that. Now, he gets the Rockies and Wrigley next, and the Rockies are terrible on the road for a lot of different reasons, and I'm definitely starting him there as well, so take a look there. For the Blue Jays, Jose Barrios went 6.1 innings pitched, giving up just one earned run, two runs overall, with six hits, one walk, and four strikeouts. This is Barrios' second consecutive quality start, and... It's actually his fourth quality start in his last five. His, he's really only had two big blowouts over his last uh, month and a half or so. One against the Cubs and one against the Guardians. And, and when you look at it, his slider, his sinker, and his changeup are sort of his best pitches. And over this stretch where he's been really good, those pitches have excelled. But it doesn't surprise me he struggled against the two teams that he did. So the Guardians themselves are the best hitting team in the league against sliders and changeups. And the Cubs are actually above average against both those pitches as well. So if you can take away his two best pitches, he's going to struggle. And so it's not surprising that he struggled in those games. Now, he gets Baltimore in his next start. They have the seventh worst average and the fourth worst Woba against changeups and they're middle of the road against sliders. So I can actually see starting him in Baltimore and thinking he's probably going to have some success there. I'm probably going to avoid him just because I still don't trust him quite yet, but I could definitely see doing it if you need the start. For the Angels, Reed Detmer went five innings pitched, giving up four earned runs with two walks, three strikeouts, and six hits. This was against the Guardians. And I mentioned that the Guardians hit sliders and changeups really well. 
which are two of Detmer's best pitches. And especially since he didn't seem to have a good feel for his curveball all game, they jumped all over those two pitches. Four of the six hits they got off of Detmer's were off of the were off the slider and the changeup. This is a bad matchup for Detmer's, so there's some way in which I, I don't take this too seriously. But he's also struggled over his last uh, four starts or so. And if you look at his numbers, this is a huge innings pitch jump for him compared to really any season before this one. So it's also worth wondering if the youngster's running out of gas a little bit so far in the season. So keep an eye on that. I'm a little nervous about starting him from here unless he's in a really good matchup. For the Marlins, finally, uh, to round out the pitching that I saw, Trevor Rogers went 6.1 innings pitched, giving up just four hits, two earned runs, two walks, and striking out nine hitters. And this was exciting to see. I've been We've been hoping Trevor Rogers would turn it around all year, and his changeup finally looked devastating. Uh, it had a 41 CSW percentage. It finally looked like the changeup we fell in love with last year. His fastball was pretty good, which is nice. Now, I wouldn't say this is a full turnaround for Rogers. We still need to see him uh, get a slider going and really start pushing that fastball into the upper elite echelon. But it is his third quality start in a row, so he might be turning the corner here either way, and then we might uh, start to see the full uh, Trevor Rogers we expected to next year. So keep an eye on Trevor Rogers. He does get the Nationals next, and I'm obviously all over that, uh, that one for sure. With him on this role, I definitely uh, suggest picking him up if he's out there to make that start. So that's the hitting and the pitching that I really liked from yesterday's games and I think could be really helpful for your fantasy teams. Real quick, let's actually take a quick break here. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as 8 dollars a month you can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show Thank you so much. Uh, I get to now catch my breath. I got a little sip of tea. I'm ready to go. But real quick, before we jump into today's action, let's check in with Mark Paquette for the weather. Thank you very much. Looking at today's forecast, we're going to have some showers leaving Boston as they host the Yankees. But this is the only game with any issues in. This isn't a postponement threat. The showers should be moving away, like I said. If anything, a short delay, and then we're good to go. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you so much, Mark. So let's talk today. There's some really fun stuff going on today in uh, baseball, looking at some of the big games we got going on. The Padres and the Mariners are playing each other. And actually, this is a huge ramifications on the standings as uh, the Padres are trying to hold on to the last wild card spot there in, in the National League. And the Mariners are actually trying to hold on to the wild card in the American League. And actually, this game will feature Hugh Darvish going against Logan Gilbert. So that's a really exciting matchup. I'm really looking forward to that. We get The Rays are taking on the Blue Jays in a doubleheader. The first game, which has Jeffrey Springs going against Alec Manoa. Should be a really fun matchup. And they're actually those other two teams in the wild card. So they are separated by just a half game in the wild card standing. So today could have a huge impact on how the season shakes out here for these two teams. Hunter Brown is making his second start uh, of the season against the Tigers. He was electric in his first start, so this should be really fun to watch, especially going up against the Tigers' uh, lowly offense. Just fun baseball to watch. 
Now, in terms of hitters I'm looking to stream, I'm looking at Pirates. We don't, we haven't quite had, they haven't announced who's starting. They have a double header, they have a double header today, and they haven't actually announced who's starting for the Reds in either of these games. But depending on who it is, I like Pirates hitters, if nothing else, try and get in on that double header. For the Reds, actually, on the other side of this, uh, Johan Oviedo has a 7.71 ERA for the Pirates over his last two starts. I'd love to put some Reds up against that guy. And Luis Ortiz is making his first career start, so you don't mind uh, going up against the rookie there, as he's actually struggled in the minors so far this season as well. I like any of the Twins going against Chris and any White Sox I can get my hands on going against Chad Cool. So you're thinking of, anyways. And then any White Sox I can get the matchup there against uh, Chad Cool. They're both outside of Coors and uh, it's just not very good. Now the pitchers, I'm looking to stream. I like Dean Kramer against the Nationals. That should be a really nice start for him. There aren't a ton of really great streamer matchups out that I liked. So this is my go-to. I could see... Um, Looking at Jose Suarez against the Guardians, even though they do hit the changeup pretty well. He's been really pitching well lately. Or even going Ken Waldachuk against the Rangers if he's available. So that's everything I got going on today. That is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy uh, Tuesday baseball. Enjoy your day. And thank you so much for joining me. This has been the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at PitcherList, and help support what we do by joining our Discord with PitcherList Plus at PitcherList.com slash plus.